Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesightNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to Robert Calhoun, who is based in London, where he led the very first 40 Days for Life campaign in England. The vigils were held outside a B-Pass abortion facility that, after several campaigns, actually stopped doing abortions and eventually closed its doors. Robert now works full-time for 40 Days for Life, traveling the world, and he's helped them spread not only across the United Kingdom, but he's gone to over 30 different countries. He's coordinated efforts in nations as widespread as Australia, Croatia, New Zealand, Russia, and South Africa. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Robert is because, unlike most of us in the pro-life movement, he has a really broad experience of the pro-life movement on the international level. He's got stories from countries right around the world. And I do want to uh, give one little update here before we get into the conversation. When uh, Robert and I are talking about the state of abortion politics in the United Kingdom and Canada, and that's pretty terrible in both of those countries, he mentions that there's actually a bill coming up that would legalize abortion up until birth in the United Kingdom. Before this podcast aired, so after we recorded the interview, but before the podcast aired, I'm very, very pleased to announce that this failed. And in fact, the MP who had put forward this amendment to, to a crime bill withdrew it. So as of right now, the UK, while still permitting abortions up to 24 weeks, which is much later than most European countries, at least has not joined the shameful ranks of Canada and certain US states as permitting abortion all the way up until birth. So this is a huge victory. A UK Right to Life released a press release describing how this unfolded. But when you hear Robert and I discussing this legislation to legalize abortion up until birth, you should take comfort in knowing that since the conversation was recorded, that has actually failed. So without further introduction from me, and on that positive note, here's my conversation with Robert Calhoun of International 40 Days for Life. All right, Robert, just to start off, maybe give our, our listeners a sense of how you ended up working full-time in the pro-life movement. Before we get to uh, your international experiences and what it's been like to be a leader in a global movement to combat abortion. Yes, so I'm 38 years old at the moment. I've got four young children, and I became a Catholic when I was 21 years old, going back my last year of university at King's College London studying history. And I went to a talk by David Alton, who's a member of the House of Lords. He gave a pretty pretty thorough talk about the battle on abortion in the parliament for decades. He'd been involved. He showed graphic imagery of abortion uh, during a talk at university I went to, and that really convicted my heart of that this was the social justice issue of our age. And from that point onwards at university, becoming a Catholic, I realized that the pro-life movement is something that God was calling to me, me to eventually. I tried my vacation shortly after becoming a Catholic uh, at seminary for a couple of years. But after leaving, I spent a year in Canada working for Net Ministries, doing youth evangelization across Canada. And there I came across a group praying outside the Morgenthaler Abortion Centre in Ottawa in Canada. It's the first time I'd ever seen a group praying in public for an end to abortion. That was my first ever encounter with 40 Days for Life. And coming back to the United Kingdom after a, a year or two, giving talks in schools, I felt called that God was calling me to start an organisation praying outside abortion centres in the United Kingdom. So that was 2010. We first started 40 Days for Life in the United Kingdom. And it's been, it's been quite an adventure since that time, going all around 
around the world to the 30 countries and getting a national movement up and running and seeing many, many babies saved in the UK at the very last moment uh, before before a woman goes for an abortion. So um, that's kind of a brief background to how I got involved in the pro-life movement. And uh, things are really hotting up in the UK of going to extremes here, but it's a challenging time, but exciting nonetheless. Now, most of our listeners are, are going to know a lot about 40 Days for Life because we've had uh, David B. Wright on the show before several times, I believe, talking about the genesis of that movement, how it started up in Texas and spread around the world. But for our Canadian listeners, the United Kingdom is a little bit more similar, not in regard to where the abortion restrictions are, but in terms of a very, very secular Anglo culture. What is it like in London, in Birmingham, in Liverpool, in these places around the United Kingdom with this movement? Because I, I, I think that the atmosphere is probably fairly similar to what we experience here in Canada. Yes, we're very similar to Canada in the United Kingdom. And so Four Days for Life is a locally organized community initiative encouraging Christians to pray and fast for an end to abortion. And the central component of our campaign is to pray publicly for at least 12 hours a day for 40 consecutive days outside an abortion center or prominent prominent public place so you're organizing a prayer vigil right in the place where abortions are happening and of course we britain is a very secular country there are very strongly entrenched uh, pro-abortion views throughout the public so this is a sort of a counter-cultural activity per se and i thought it would be a huge failure just starting out 11 years ago couldn't couldn't have been more wrong there's so many pro-lifers who feel passionately about this topic and want to take a stand and know what's at stake it's a matter of life and death for many of the women so you're in the public and some people love you and some people hate you <laughs> there's a, certainly a marmite issue in 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 but you're engaging with the public what i love about forces for life is it is bringing god into the pro-life movement by bringing prayer with prayer we can move mountains and we are reaching people, we're reaching this issue with touching the nerve because we're going to the place where abortions happen in society. And, you know, we've got all our theories and what we believe about abortion. When you actually go to the abortion centres, you see the ugly truth and reality of abortion. You see women who are alone. You see women who are forced, coerced into abortions. And you can reach, you know, this is a mission and this is an apostolate. And you know, the best pavement counsellors I've seen are the people who stand there and they know that they are there to evangelize everybody every single person who's who's passing by in a grace-filled grace-filled manner and the the words they've spoken to some of the mums who've been considering abortion as if god was there in terms of reaching them with love compassion hope um, being the last son of hope before an abortion the first son of mercy after an abortion and so this is why this campaign is so exciting we can touch minds reach hearts and minds we can change opinion we're reaching people where they're at and we're bringing the love of god right to a very hopeless place i can't think of more places in society that that have less hope than an abortion center and we see the sober reality of what abortion entails right at the abortion center so that's what four states for life is the uk it's really secular we've got a we've got a complete decriminalization bill being debated on monday here they're trying to bring in buffer zones banning public witness that's already happened in three locations around the uk so uh, we've got similar buffer zones and what have you but that's that's not what this mission is about and we're, we're about prayer we're about reaching people and we're about taking a public stand to pray for an end to abortion which certainly works and we, we've seen seven abortion centers close in the uk where we've been so it's been a huge success now for the skeptics when you say you saw seven abortion uh, centers in the uk close can can you say that that's attributable to your campaigns yes so 
abortion centers close for a whole variety of reasons. Some of them go out of business. But what's for sure is that prayer really does have a very powerful impact on on the abortion centers. And that's why we've seen over a six year campaign with the entire weight of the abortion lobby desperate to get rid of the prayer vigils here. And that's really a compliment. And it really shows our efficacy that there's been such a coordinated and concerted effort to get rid of the prayer vigils. Of course, we don't know how God uses prayer. That is a mystery. And so certain things are of of a belief. We can't prove that, you know, our presence there really definitively led to that closure but I I did a mission trip with David B. Wright in 2013 all around the UK we visited nine abortion centres this is back in 2013 three in London Ealing Whitfield Street in central London and Bedford Square in central London Milton Keynes Birmingham Leamington Spa Cardiff Brighton Southampton nine in nine in total and five of those abortion centers have closed in the last eight years Birmingham really not only marriage states didn't rebid for their contract that was a mystery why they didn't rebid for their contract in in Birmingham in Bedford Square we had a really powerful prayer vigil with the bishop 500 people turned up in 2012 that one mysteriously closed for no reason so you know it's not that we claim the credit per se, it's just that these centres have closed. This is how God has been at work. We've seen babies saved, we've seen hearts and minds change, we've seen engagement with the public, and we've really sent helped Christians grow spiritually as a result of getting involved in, in prayer vigils. So we've had a great influence in the UK, and I think just keep going. It's, it's a very difficult country here, but we are a pivotal country. We have a lot of international influence in the UK. We, you know, what's debated in the British Parliament reverberates around the world. So, you know, despite the challenges of the culture of death, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So in terms of being a pro-lifer, being in London, you know, one of the most staunchly pro-abortion cities in the world, it's a great place to be. I want to ask one question actually about the political context in the UK, because most of our listeners won't have heard about this decriminalization bill. So if you could maybe just Give us a bit of an outline of what's coming down the pipe. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts also on on Prime Minister Boris Johnson, because I know that a lot of conservatives have sort of a knee-jerk support for anybody who's called a a right-wing or a conservative or a populist. But my understanding of Johnson is that he's not socially conservative by any stretch. Uh, He's been responsible for at least one abortion. That's on on public record in a variety of UK papers. There was a big scandal about this back when he was a member of parliament. Would you say that he is is neutral, a foe, or a friend of the pro-life movement? Well, Boris Johnson is certainly not a friend of the pro-life movement. I think, you know, he's a politician and he's sort of voting one way, one week, another way the next week. He uh, certainly helped with an abortion just recently. He got married in Westminster Cathedral just very recently. But this Conservative government really has, you know, in this this COVID time brought in, you know, some of the most extreme most extreme sort of totalitarian principles to this country. So Boris Johnson is certainly not a friend of the pro-life movement. I think he's had many affairs. He's on his third marriage as things stand. And he goes with the wind as a politician. This police crime and sentencing and courts bill 
would bring in abortion on demand for any reason up to birth, including sex-selective abortion. It's being debated this um, Monday, I think it's the 5th of, uh, 5th of July in the United Kingdom by Dame Diana Johnson's bringing in an amendment to that uh, amendment to that bill. It's NC55, the amendment. So basically, this is the most extreme kind of legislation you could possibly have. You know, we're talking about abortion on demand for any reason up to birth. And this is the kind of lobby that the abortion lobby has in you know totally reckless just to the absolute extreme in the united kingdom and you know we very much hope that this amendment will be will be struck down the polling of brits is that people don't want you know complete extreme legislation abortion on demand we already had pills by post introduced in march 2020 as a response to covid this was through a double u-turn from matt hancock who's the health secretary now disgraced brought in pills by post that was one of the most radical amendments to the abortion bill 1967 means that you know you can post pills to women at home that they can have an abortion at home if you remember unplanned if you've seen unplanned seeing that tragedy of abby johnson having an abortion at home this is the reality and worst case scenario of what abortion at home entails but ultimately you know the average person in the street, they're not looking for these extreme abortion legislation. Only 1% of women think the time limit should be extended to birth. And, you know, 70% of people uh, favour a reduction of time limits from 24 weeks. So, you know, I think we need a new era in the pro-life movement in the UK. We need to have a strong political lobby. We need to get out with public opinion and we need to engage people where they're at. That's that's challenging work, but it's the, you know, this is the front front row seats in God's grace and action and we need to change hearts and minds and bring people the reality of what abortion entails and what this kind of extreme abortion legislation what's what's really at stake and what it actually means sex selective abortion etc so moving on from the UK you said you've been to 30 countries in the service of the pro-life movement give us an idea of what your international role is and then let's move into what's happening in a bunch of these countries because a lot of us pro-lifers in the west haven't traveled much outside the West when it comes to to the to the pro-life movement and the pro-life issue. So like many pro-lifers, I've spoken in Europe, I've spoken in the United States. I'm very aware of what's going on in, in Latin and South America, especially because there's been so much movement there just in the last five years. But how did you come to be an international pro-life activist? And then let's get into some of the things that are happening around the world. Yes, yeah, so I first started getting involved in prayer vigils outside abortion since 2010. In 2012, I took a full-time job with 40 Days for Life to be the international outreach coordinator and then the director of international campaigns. So my role was really to help promote 40 Days for Life as a campaign, doing prayer vigils outside abortion centers around the world to bring new countries into new countries into our movement and to spread our mission to to as many places as possible. So that's been a really, really exciting role. And we've now got over 15 cities in the United Kingdom who take part in our campaign twice a year, as well as um, three locations that have done year-round vigils in the UK. So I didn't really go for a first mission trip until a year or so in, into the job. One of the most beautiful places I've been to is Croatia. I've been there over five times. We went to Zagreb in 2014. It's a, a Catholic country, Croatia. Really passionate young pro-lifers who were there. And they started with a one campaign in, in Zagreb in 2014. And gradually that campaign spread all over the country. They now have over 35 prayer vigils all across Croatia. Every single hospital that does abortions has a prayer vigil 
outside and I've been able to meet some of the babies who've been saved from abortion from their pro-life efforts. They've now got five full-time people who set up uh, life centers around around Croatia as well. So it's been beautiful to see to see that happen. I did a mission trip to Moscow in, in Russia in 2014 and it was an evangelical church that was hosting a first first ever campaign there. They saw a baby saved. We had a press conference, uh, press conference in Russia and meeting some of the Orthodox Church and engaging with other Russian pro-lifers. It was a very, very exciting, exciting trip. And I've been blessed to go to the March for Life in Washington. And, you know, the USA is, is miles ahead of other countries. They've got 3,000 crisis pregnancy centers in the United States. And you know, many of the pro-life groups are miles ahead of other countries. Despite that, we, I've been to you know a lot of Western European countries and we're getting a really decent campaign in Spain now. I've been there five times. Um, we've been to... Barcelona, we've had a substantial campaign there as, as, as well as Madrid. And we took on somebody who to do Latin America, Lords Varela, about five years ago. And now our Latin American campaign is really, really on fire. So it was 2015. Colombia's our next strongest country. Pamela Delgado started a vigil in, in Bogota in Colombia. I haven't, I haven't traveled there, but we've had many mission trips there. Um, now we've got a nationwide campaign in Colombia. There is they do a baby shower kind of once a year. About 25 mums come to the baby shower who've chosen life, who are scheduled for an abortion. In Bogota, the capital, there's about 70 abortion centers in a, in a kind of four block radius. Lots of doctor surgeries that are offering abortion there. And there's men standing outside offering free ultrasounds to women in this particular location in, in Bogota, in, in Colombia. But thanks to the vigils, just get stronger and stronger there each each year. We've now got 90 vigils in in Mexico. Mexico City abortion is, is legal there. It's, you know, there's a lot of passion in Latin America. So it's been, it's been a really exciting job. And I've, I've been to um, Africa seven times in total. And Nairobi was probably the most exciting mission trip. Visited Anne Kiyoko, who now works for Citizen Go full time as a pro life activist there. Um, we spoke at the cathedral. We did a witness outside, outside Mary Stopes. I uh, went with Hayward Robinson, who's a member of our staff, who's a former abortionist. So it's pretty brief. Anne Kiyoko is an abortion survivor, and Hayward Robinson is a former abortionist. And we were both all praying outside Mary Stopes in Nairobi in Kenya, which temporarily closed after Anne's campaign. And uh, there was a kind of coach load of children that went into the Mary Stokes abortion center for a sex education class while, while we were there. But through Anne's campaigning, she's, she's really uh, ruffled feathers and ruffled feathers in Nairobi. But we want to take pro-life activism to the next level. And what's happening now is we want to, we want to help in America, 50 of the vigils have gone year round now. So they're doing three, six, five, which is a, a campaign to have a year round presence. And we want to see many more countries, you know, get stronger campaigns and then go year round and then help people start organizations, fundraise. So I think the future is looking like helping pro-lifers go to the next level, you know, start with a campaign, but then for that work, especially hard with the super keen people to, to help them build organizations, um, build websites, fundraise and go to that next level. And then they have year round witness outside the abortion centers. That's really where things are heading for our organization at the moment. What is the cultural response to, to pro-life activism in Africa? I did a little bit of traveling in Africa to, to five African countries a few years back. And when I talked about abortion with a lot of the people that I met, even tour guides, they still found the concept horrifying. And and like some of them, 
One of them actually said to me, this was in Tanzania, that the sorts of things that happened in the West to babies are things that, that Africans couldn't even fathom. Do you find that there's a significant cultural difference in how the issue gets addressed there rather than here? Very much so. So in many African countries, there's a very strong public opinion that's still you know, family values, even 80 to 90% pro-life in you know, sort of top four pro-life African countries. So um, there's a lack of education in many locations. You know, for example, Nigeria's got over 200 million people living there, many of them less than a dollar a day. And there's re- religious extremism that's happening. There's poverty. But in terms of cultural values, you know, it's very much still pro-life values. They're very much like sort of, you know, maybe Britain was in the 1950s in terms of moral values. And despite that, you know, you've got the the international abortion providers who have, you know, got huge amounts of money and still operating in highly dubious circumstances. So I, I believe there's a strong opportunity at the moment for, you know, really top-notch professional campaigning in terms of bringing awareness, not only what happens with West, the Western funding of abortion. Uji Okocha, who started Culture of Life Africa, has written about this, kind of calling it uh, sort of neo-colonialism of, of, of our age. And I think there's a huge amount of wonderful work to be done with bringing awareness, you know, of the reality of what abortion happens in it, the reality of abortion in Africa. If we can awaken the conscience of many Africans and equip, empower, engage them to, to some simple campaigning just getting a good start many people don't have the privilege of doing full-time pro-life activism in africa there's a small contingent of people who are in that position can start their own family or life organization there but i think there's so much good to be done and once westerners realize you know in the uk and canada both funding abortions in africa are literally the uk taxpayers are funding abortions even in countries where they are illegal and that's really akin to to terrorism and if 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 even secular politicians really knew and understood kind of exactly where that money goes and, you know, it could go on maternal health care, it could go helping with education, hospitals, schools. There's so much better sources for the money than going towards Mary Stokes. And the actual, even from a pro-abortion perspective, you know, you're talking about rubbish abortion provision in Africa through this funding that, you know, it's, it's, it's in the pharmacies. It's still not safe in any capacity at all. Women taking the pills at wrong times. And it's 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 terrible provision of abortion. So uh, we need to bring this to light and we need to enlighten the conscience of pro-lifers in Africa and also show, you know, Western secular politicians the reality of abortion in Africa. And, and that's a huge task. And Uji Okocha is doing an amazing job on that. And I think that's where we need to go to the next level and have comprehensive nationwide campaigns in a lot of African countries. Can you share any uh, stories about successes uh, from your trips to Africa? Yes. So we had a conference in Lagos, 2018. I had about 300 people there and helped women in a crisis pregnancy during that during that conference. And well, I've been to Nigeria three times. We did another conference in Abuja and I went to Abuja. We had a conference in the cathedral Um Kelechi Kelechi was the local leader in Abuja. She started her own pro-life group. She helped about 30 women who were in a crisis pregnancy at the time. And I've I've always loved going on these mission trips. We did another one to Cameroon, had a pro-life conference there for a couple of hundred people. Um, That was going in 2015. And I think, you know, um, 
it's really sowing seeds. Basically, I see that I see this work as having a front row seat, seeing God's grace in action. Colette, Colette Thomas was our leader who did prayer vigils outside Cape Town, Mary Stopes. Um, she saved several lives there over over many years, and I think. Um, it's been been inspiring. There's so much good work to be done, and we're we're sowing seeds, sowing seeds in these countries. And I look forward to look forward to seeing you know big spiritual blessings. And you know maybe one of these countries we, we've seen in Zambia, Mary States were thrown out of Zambia during during one several years back. We've had a leader in Yos in Nigeria, Maureen. She's saved every campaign that she does. She works at uh, she's at a university there. She reaches out, saves several babies every time she does a campaign there. Many uh, girls at the university there in a crisis pregnancy and the offer of help and getting young people involved in public witness is, is a powerful, powerful act. So uh, there's a lot of growth to be done. And, you know, Latin, Latin American campaigns flourishing. And I think, you know, thinking how, how can we grow? How can we get to the next level? And that's something I'm constantly praying about, considering and how can we engage with more people and improve the quality of their campaigns too? To what extent has, has your movement managed to establish itself in Asia? So we've just started a campaign in South Korea. They've just registered with us for the autumn campaign. They've already done a video, which is really encouraging. We did have a campaign in Hong Kong going back about five years ago. And then we've also got a campaign in Taiwan for the second time. So I haven't been to Asia on a mission trip. We had a podcast with John Ensor, who works for Passion Life, and he's done amazing trips to China. He's been there many, many times, and the church is very well connected there, and his outreach has gone you know, virally across many of the church networks church next networks in, in China. But it's, it's very difficult to witness in China, despite the, the millions of abortions that happen in China. So we haven't been able to you know, establish a vigil in it's been difficult to, to get vigils going in some of these countries. We did do a, we did have a campaign in India as well during the Lent campaign led by Jesus Youth in Bangalore. I would love to reach some of the Asian countries a lot more, but there isn't a there isn't a kind of established culture of prayer vigils outside abortion centres. Nevertheless, you know, two thirds of the world's population live in Asia, and two thirds of the the world's abortions happen. In, in Asia too. So, you know, there's over a million abortions in America, but, you know, depending on which figures you, you believe, sort of 40 to 50 million abortions worldwide. So how can we reach these countries and how can we uh, be culturally sort of applicable and engage the imagination of pro-lifers? Now, we've still got much more work to be done in Asia, but we're, we're taking baby steps at the moment. I'd love to have a really good campaign in, in South Korea. I did see a film, The Dropbox, about a pastor who's helping pastor is helping babies that are abandoned on the street very very inspiring if you've if you haven't seen that it's about south korean pastor so i hope that we can get a really good campaign going in south korea it'll captivate the imagination of other asians and maybe that's the future you know in five ten years time you know maybe we'll have a much stronger presence in asia i'm interested in in how you establish not only contact but get things going on the ground so when you're talking about countries you want to get into and for example there's been an extraordinary number of abortions in india i've interviewed a pro-life activist in india in the past and she sort of laid out the millions of abortions that have taken place 
largely at Western prompting uh, back in the 70s with their eugenic policies and their fears about overpopulation. So when you're looking at countries that you want to establish yourself in, what's the process for going from we would like a you know pro-life prayer vigils, pro-life work to happen in this country to actually putting boots on the ground and creating the infrastructure to make it last? So basically, the, our campaigns rise and fall on the quality of the local leader. And often it's churches that can help with an introduction to a country. And I think it's personal touches is, is very important. And, you know, networking with other pro-life organizations. And it's really a personal introduction. But you know, ultimately, it's somebody who feels called to lead a campaign. This is when things begin to move for us. Um, and then at that point, they register and then go through the training. And it's if we have somebody who can really bring a local campaign, they've got to have, you know, first of all, the commitment, the passion, the drive. About 30% of our leaders are, many of them are post-abortive in the United States. Sometimes we've seen that d- dynamic internationally. And who's either been personally affected by abortion or has you know knowledge of the importance of this topic and a, a strong passion a real desire to to do something about it and it's you know it's not an easy commitment to to make to say right i'm going to be the leader and i'm going to lead this effort we're going to have 500 hours of public prayer and we need a team we need to get everybody together that's a big commitment to make and you know some people have got strong family commitments they're busy with work sometimes it's young people university students sometimes it's uh, people who've retired who've got more time on their hands i was just down in brighton in the uk and it's a retired leader who's there we had a party to celebrate the abortion center closing there just a few days ago and he's retired he's got a little bit more time on his hands and it's just amazing to see this abortion center close and it's now the contract's gone to marry stopes uh, for his area in brighton but amazing to see the b pass closed there so yeah what we need is people you know first of all they've got to have the passion the enthusiasm they've got to know this topic and secondly they've got to have the desire to do something about it and you know we have leaders from all walks of life we have people who are retired retired sort of army army generals in the u.s we have university students who are getting involved with pro-life activities for the first time we have mothers we have post-abortive men and women who are leaders and so we have people from from all walks of life and it doesn't matter kind of where you are in your pro-life sort of journey but our leaders are absolute heroes and many of them have taken a lot of sacrifice dedication commitment to be able to do this so somebody's got to put their hand up and at that point we you know we've had a lot of zoom calls in the last 12 12 months with international leaders and it's a personal invitation and uh, what's beautiful is we when we get somebody who has the ability and the capacity to start a, a national movement he has that kind of competence uh, competence to start a national movement and that's when things get really exciting where they can recruit other cities in the country to makes life uh, life easier and, and exciting the opportunities for scaling and growth if you wanted to encourage people i know a lot of people listening have never been outside an abortion center. There are others who have been outside abortion centers and and never seen anything really exceptional take place. I know that you have many, many stories. David B. Wright shared some of his experiences when he was on the show. Could you tell us a few of your favorite stories from your work with 40 Days for Life, either stories that you've experienced personally or stories that you've been party to by virtue of your role? Yes, absolutely. So there's so many things that have happened outside abortion centers. One boy turned up on the very first day to pray outside the abortion center and the, you know, abortion uh, waste removal truck was outside and it kind of broke down in tears and he realized the gravity 
the, the importance of this issue and you know he was totally passionate from that point onwards of you know seeing the aborted baby's sort of remains come out of the abortion center and then into the waste removal trucks on a broker's heart that's pretty extreme that doesn't happen every every time there was another woman who's been forced into an abortion in ealing in west london and her family were basically you know forcing her into the abortion and she was desperate and not really to go ahead with it and so she jumped out of the window of the abortion center and you know climbed over three fences on the way out of eventually the police got called and uh, she didn't go ahead with the abortion that day there was another woman in ealing and she gave her her testimony in 2016 she was holding the abortion pill in her hand and they got her blood results wrong and they missed diagnosed the blood results and then she walks out not having taken the pill and she gave this testimony as her two-year-old uh, two-year-old child was playing at her feet just realizing how close that child was to becoming a statistic at our kickoff rally um, going back five five years or so and the nuns were praying outside the abortion center that day and said they said we're, we're praying for you we're praying for you that that day but you know how close these are like seconds away we, we've also had stories of women who've, who've run out of the abortion center and they've their feet have been on the stirrups um they've run out without their shoes on the very last sec- seconds before going ahead with the abortions so some there's sometimes there's really close calls uh, we had a bishop come to pray outside the abortion center in 2012 in in london and we had about 300 pro-abortion protesters turn up to heckle him and they knew how important it was for bishops to be involved in the pro-life movement. But that abortion centre eventually closed. And we had a prayer vigil inside the building after that abortion centre closed. We had a mass said there inside the building. And you know, Jesus, in Jesus' words in, in the Eucharist, you know, this is my body given for you. Jesus gives of his own body that others may live. Uh, abortion activists cling to their own bodies that, that others others may die. But to see that spiritual transfer of ownership, um, to see that abortion centre close after so over 3,000 hours of prayer in central London was was re- really, really exciting. So we've had we've had some amazing pro-life volunteers. Justina Pasek was a Polish girl, and she used to pray in Twickenham in London. There's now a buffer zone there. It's illegal. It's a criminal act to pray in public in Twickenham in West London. That, that abortion centre was a late it's a late term abortion center uh, it used to be the building used to be a nun's convent in the ni- 1960s there was a chapel there they said mass in the building and now that building's a late term abortion center but she worked there for five years full time outside that center offering help and every week one or two women would change their minds cumulatively she's probably saved more lives than anybody else in the country maybe 500 lives over over five years or so very very hard work she's got a lot of abuse but you know real example of one of these pavement counselors who you know has really done god's work really powerfully and effectively so um it's been been other stories where some of the women have you know we've heard screams from the building we just i just did a video outside mary stokes in central london where our first vigil ever was which has recently closed half the abortions are happening at home with pills by post um during during the sort of covid time and that means that some of these busy abortion centers are only getting half the women coming that they normally would have and so many of the larger centers have closed but this this mary stokes in central london this was the first ever family planning center in the uk in hollywood in in holloway it started in 1921 and then moved to central london i think 1926 or so mary stokes uh, was a eugenicist and there's a blue plaque on the wall to say to see this iconic flagship (laughs) abortion center close after we've had 11 years of prayer vigils there is a pretty remarkable thing to see happen we had one volunteer who thought that the prayer vigil was 
inside the building and so she turned up and sort of went into Harry Stokes and was asking around all the staff probably walked into all the rooms there uh, looking for the prayer vigil and you know of course didn't have a clue that a prayer vigil was actually outside and the staff eventually kicked her out after some time so so there's always some kind of shenanigans that have that have happened as well that we had the police called on us about 100 times um, outside Bedford Square and in central London and some of the nuns who were pavement councillors were very hard there and they really stood their ground and you know they were told to move away and they managed to hold their ground very well indeed so we've had so many great volunteers one of them one of them used to do an all-night prayer vigil in one of the vigils we had a a round-the-clock prayer vigil for 24 hours in Whitfield Street Mary Stopes outside and one prayer volunteer used to do the all-night vigil and then he would in the morning he would come to uh, he didn't have a mobile phone or anything a cell phone he would come to the morning vigil at the other abortion center a real sign of sacrifice we used to think this guy was an angel um we couldn't get hold of him but he would just pitch up just at the right time when we needed somebody it was a truly remarkable sacrifice so there's hundreds of stories i could go on for for hours but that just gives some, some of the inkling of uh some of the inkling we had a, a teacher once who came to the vigil and he prayed for an hour and he went back to his school and you know, prayed, you know, God, how can I serve the pro-life movement? And he realized he could give a pro-life testimony to 500 pupils at school. And that's exactly what he did. He came to pray for an hour and then he took the pro-life message to all all the children that he taught at the school. And that, that's just a wonderful example, I think, of just an ordinary volunteer who comes to the vigil, but then actually through prayer, um, his witness has been transformed in, in a way that he's been able to witness to hundreds of people through his professional work. So I love that story. And yeah. And I think, you know, we've, we've been kind of, we've had everything thrown at us in the UK. We've had the national government against us. We've had the local councils criminalize prayer in the streets, which is pretty extreme. We've had pro abortion protesters. We've had the full weight of the abortion lobby against us, the media, public opinion, we've had abuse, etc. But throughout all of that you know god has uh god has shown that you know this is a battle of hearts and minds it's about saving lives it's a ministry where you can save lives every single day of the every single day there's an opportunity to save lives through doing pavement counseling doing it well the spiritual graces are tremendous so uh, long may this witness continue in the uk until we see an end to abortion on the seeing an end to abortion, are you optimistic about the future of the pro-life movement? Because this is obviously a movement where you see the worst and the very best of human nature. And if you had to encourage somebody, how would you encourage them by describing the, the state of the pro-life movement in the West and elsewhere? Yeah. So, you know, on, on the one hand in the UK, things have never been worse. You know, we've got this decriminalization. Well, uh, you know, we're on the verge of having a national ban of, of prayer vigils and, uh, we actually had a prayer vigil 500 meters from the abortion center in Ealing, and we saw two babies saved from that 40 days campaign. So, yes, things are bad, and they are really bad. And we've also had pills by post here last year, so we've got the most extreme sort of situations here. So, yeah, you know, from that perspective, things are really bad. We've had civil liberties trashed during covid and very hard to sort of publicly meet during that time things are really bad i wouldn't i wouldn't sort of downplay that in any capacity whatsoever but you think about china you know 23 million abortions a year there it's just kind of the scale is unfathomable and the same thing in london you know one of the most extreme places but 
I've I've always believed in hope and you know I believe in God and I believe that you know God's will does reign supreme he gives us free will and he gives us the capacity to do good and wherever there is bad things happening there is a flip side to that we've just had one of the former Mary Stokes international workers who has extreme you know lots of experience of Mary Stokes and you know seeing what Abby Johnson's done for the pro-life movement she's helped 500 people leave she's had a you know, Hollywood film, God has used us, spoken at the Republican convention, you know, spoken in the highest places in America. God can use individuals tremendously. And the sky's the limit with what you can achieve. And I said before, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So, you know, where bad things are happening, this is the opportunity to do good. Uh, what we need to form is leaders, people who are passionate, enthusiastic, and also have a vision. We, we didn't have a March for Life here even kind of six, seven years ago, we've now got an established March for Life in the UK, and that's through tremendous leaders coming forwards and seeing that opportunity. So no matter how bad things get, and I think it's it's easy for people to get prone to discouragement, which often from the devil of just saying, oh, this is a hopeless situation. But, you know, having had a prayer vigil for so long in, in, a, in a hopeless place, there's so much hope that can be instilled in that. St. John of the Cross says, you know, where there is no love, you know, where there is no love, you know, put love and and draw love out of that situation so that's really how i see the situation is is you know if there's no hope you've got to in change the situation and, and that's the spiritual transfer of ownership that we're looking for and this this is how god is at work in the pro-life movement you know he's reaching one person at a time and you can look at the bigger picture and say that's totally hopeless. But, you know, it's the one person who goes to a proven healing program and, and hearing these graceful stories of people who've gone to the post-abortion retreats, had dramatic healing from those experiences. That's one person at a time. We're getting a tiny trickle of people go to Rachel's Vineyard here in the UK. But, you know, what if what if that ministry turns into a stream, you know, and then a river? And then, you know, I think this work is the analogy I, uh, my friend of mine uses is using a pickaxe and you're pickaxing against a frozen lake and nothing is happening and you're doing it for years and years and still nothing's happening and then suddenly a tiny crack appears and then more cracks appear before you know it you know the entire ice lake is is about to change the the green movement the homosexual movement they're both mainstream now and, and 10 20 years ago they were right on the periphery of society so it just shows how quickly change can happen for any any campaign here and now communication's never been more immediate more fast you just don't know when you're going to hit a, a lot of traction and gandhi said first you get ignored then you get ridiculed then you get persecuted and then you win and, and i've seen that happen on the local level and then you need to see it happen on the regional level you know and then the, the national level and then the the international level so do not despise small beginnings look at the berlin wall closing the berlin wall coming down at the end of the 1980s like people have said you know that's that's never going to happen or the the end of communism after after 80 years people people have said you know that's never going to happen but it kind of can come out of nowhere so that's that's why i have hope and god he's the author of life and love you know he has everything in his hands and Fatima talks about an era of peace. We just don't know what, what is ahead for us. We might have persecution. Uh, we might hit a tremendous era. But the best thing is, you know, we can give it our best, be open to God acting in and through us. And when we do that, that's the whole point of Four States for Life. Final question, where can people get in touch with you and, and look at your work? 
if you go to our website, 40daysforlife.com, my email is robert at 40daysforlife.com. So on our website, we have all the information about 40 days. If you want to get involved in the campaign, some of the stories, we've got a podcast we've been doing for six years. We've got a magazine as well, and we're looking to grow. We're always looking for new leaders, for people to get involved. There's, we had uh, 567 campaigns around the world in in Lent of 2021 and we're hoping for more in the autumn so keep growing keep building and before you know it before you know it we're going to go up to the next level as an organization Robert thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all this with us Uh, thank you so much indeed ladies and gentlemen that was my conversation uh, with Robert Calhoun of 40 Days for Life thank you so much for joining us and if you're interested in these conversations on the the pro-life movement around the world the pro-family movement what's actually going on in our culture please do head over to lifesitenews.com click on the podcast tab you can find us on YouTube on Spotify on SoundCloud wherever you get your podcast content you can find our podcast so thanks so much for joining us this week we really do appreciate your time and we hope Hope you'll join us again next week.